Hey, it's the King Plum. I'm right, you know. You know, I have a really hard time with that concept. See, I want to be confident in the things that I've learned and researched or studied or whatever. But I also want to leave the door open for reevaluation. Leaving that door open too wide, I think, opens me up to too much doubt, being too wishy-washy on whatever it is I think I might know. Not opening that door or trying to stand too firmly on whatever it is runs me into a whole other whack load of issues. I'll get extremely short-sighted, narrow-minded, and I won't be able to see anything else. And pretty much it'll take like a two by four or something like that to whack me upside the head and bring me out of it. I mean, sometimes it's not quite that strong of what's needed to bring me out, but it feels like it, right? It's this fine line of doubt, using it as a tool, not too much, not too little. Knowing when my assumptions are good to hang on to and when my assumptions need to be reevaluated. Because like Lotto talked about in uh, the stuff I covered yesterday, there are good and bad assumptions. Everything we have, everything we perceive is built on assumptions of some kind. As he mentioned, the fact that we expect the ground to be solid when we put our foot down. As I mentioned yesterday, I picked up Beau Lotto's book, Deviate. He brought up Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. As he described him, the 18th century man of letters we know today as the father of modern German literature. Goethe understood that he could see human realities and express them well in his writing. And somehow or another, he thought that he could extrapolate or push this talent into other areas. Lotto describes it this way as one of history's most legendary examples of a literary personage disastrously elbowing his way into the halls of science. I'm laughing, not because I don't think it's possible to move from one area to another, but because I kind of see a bit of myself in good. Okay, wait a minute, let me backtrack. He has a gift in writing, okay? And, and he's trying to push this gift and talent for seeing or observations and human realities that he can convey through his writing into ways of observing in sciences. And I don't know that I really see myself as having a gift in any particular area, but I do see that I attempt to, you know, elbow my way into various areas because I'm curious and I want to learn more. But anyway, let me get back to Goethe. And this story I find particularly funny because I see a lot of, well, if you go back and listen to any of my past episodes, I, <laughs> I just, I see a lot of myself here. So Goethe had borrowed a prism to test Newton's groundbreaking work that had refracted white light into its constituent colors. Executing the experiment incorrectly and far from fully versed on the theory behind it, Goethe expected to beam the full spectrum of color on the wall of his home only to beam nothing. The wall remained a white blank on which he could project his rapidly growing conviction. Newton's theory is false! Ardently sure that contemporary science was terribly off course in understanding light, he took leave of his diplomatic responsibilities to devote himself to physics. It was like, to hell with that field, I'm moving on to this other one, and if I can prove that one false too, on to another one. 
And while the scientists of the time ridiculed him, literatures and nobles cheered him on. So with a fan base, and if he wasn't doubting, or left really little room for doubting, it's no wonder that he continued to run with the idea that he was right. This made me think of some more modern day examples. Flat Earth or round? As we've already established, everything is built on assumptions, good or bad. So although most of us haven't left the planet, we have to assume that what we've been told and the science that we understand is true and that the Earth is round. Those who believe in the flat Earth have reasoned their way through their assumptions. And yeah, I say reasoned because they have come up with some very in-depth theories. Is there any room for doubt? When we say, well, that's just the way I am, in response to someone calling us out about something, say about anger or lying or whatever it might be, is there any room for doubt? What assumptions are built up underneath that belief? The internal narratives that we tell ourselves, I can't, it's too fill in the blank. I'm not good enough. I'm the most badass bitch there ever was. Is there any room for doubt? I found this quote in Lotto's book and I really liked it. He said, if you attack a problem with the wrong assumption, there is nowhere to go but deeper into that assumption, whether you know you're getting further from the truth or not. I think we saw evidence of that with good. And I think that if we don't leave room for doubt, we also see evidence of that in ourselves. You've probably heard this before, but Lotto includes it in his book. He writes, Imagine a very dark street. In the distance is a single street light illuminating a small circle of the sidewalk. All the lights along the road are for some reason off. Within this circle of light is someone on their hands and knees. You walk up to them and ask them, what are they doing? They reply, looking for my keys. Naturally, you want to help, as they seem really quite desperate. It's late and cold, and surely two people looking in the same space is better than one. So for reasons of efficiency, to help you guide your search, you ask, By the way, where did you drop them? The answer, I dropped them way over there, says the person, pointing to a place in the dark a hundred meters behind you. Then why in the hell are you looking here, you ask? Because this is the only place I can see. Our assumptions create the light in which we are able to see differently, or not. Depending on how strongly we avoid exploring the shadows, where keys to new paths may be hiding. I really like this story because I think it illustrates a few things for me. One is the topic of doubt. Without doubting, we get that narrow-minded focus, right? We can only see what is in the spotlight of that streetlight. Even if a part of us knows that what we're looking for is found elsewhere. The other reason why I like this imagery is because, well, this is a bit of an extrapolation. So I was responding to Patrick of We Live on a Planet in a call that he made to me about creativity as a tool in our toolbox. I explained that I think that when we're creative, in whatever format that takes, I think it enables us to break out of the rut of the standard neural pathways that we have and enables us to create new ones, new connections, and it may lead to neurogenesis, so new brain cells. You won't find it in my episodes, but I shared a six-minute piece by Lotto where he talks about 
The brain doesn't make these huge leaps. It makes these tiny steps. I think creativity opens up these new pathways, enabling us to make these smaller steps. And he talks about these smaller steps being enabled by creativity. Anyway, back to the imagery of this street light. I sort of see it like when we are more creative, when we open that door, it lights up more street lights and not just straight down the street, but all around us. So the connections don't have to be linear. We can solve problems in the most creative ways in these tiny steps. And because we've broken those assumptions of having to remain on the sidewalk or the street, we can step out in these different ways that others might not expect, but that we've allowed ourselves to go there because we've opened the door to creativity. <laughs> you know, for someone who used to be very rigid in how I followed rules, I never realized how much I've broken out of that. Just because an authority figure tells me something doesn't mean I always believe it. Just because I'm told about staying within the lines, whether that's a street or an aisle or the pews, doesn't mean I stay there. Who knew, but I think I'm starting to see how doubt and creativity go hand in hand.